0: Boundless Authenticity Podcast, where we discuss everything related to the evolution of human consciousness. Thanks for tuning in to the Boundless Authenticity Podcast. My guest today is Mary Firestone. Mary is the author of Trusting the Dawn, and she has undertaken a brave mission of letting others know there is a light on the other side of the darkness of PTSD. In 2017, Mary and her family were just getting settled into a new home in Montecito when the Thomas fire erupted at the end of that year. Mary, who was four months pregnant at the time, and her family evacuated for a month and returned to their home in January 2018 when the area was deemed safe. They were not under mandatory evacuation orders on the night of January 9th of that year when massive amounts of heavy rain caused a debris flow that would claim the lives of 23 people, many of them her immediate neighbors, and over 450 structures. Their new home was in one of the two direct paths of the tsunami-like debris flow of mud, water, and boulders that tore down the mountain. Mary was separated from her son and husband and trapped alone for five hours on a sliver of her bathroom counter wet and cold from winter rain and covered in toxic mud. For much of that time, she thought her son and husband had not survived as she watched the two-story part of her home that contained her son's bedroom get washed away in a river of mud. While trapped, she experienced a connection to a powerful and calming force. Trusting the Dawn is the story of her trauma and survival during the 2017 California wildfires and subsequent 2018 mudslide which took her brand new family home and Mary's transformation through healing. This book, which is currently number one on Amazon's new release in stress management, Self-Help, is an offering for survivors of all kinds of trauma. In Trusting the Dawn, Mary draws from both her own real-life experiences and her background in clinical psychology to offer a radical, integrative handbook for not only healing from trauma, but awakening to even more joy and meaning because of your experiences. In the words of Dr. Joe Dispenza, Trusting the Dawn is medicine for anyone who wants to free their mind, body, and soul from the past. In this episode, Mary talks to us about finding your way out of PTSD, taking back your power after a traumatic experience, how to heal trauma with mystical therapies, and how to turn trauma indicators into opportunities for growth. You can find Mary at maryfirestone.co or on Instagram at trustingthedawn2022 or at Firestone sisters. So Mary, how's it going?
1: It's going great. It is sunny. We survived Halloween. Life is good. How are you?
0: <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. I also survived Halloween. Um, <laughs> it's It's been raining off and on here and uh, in between I've just been trying to catch as much sunlight as possible, you know, enjoying the small things, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Get our vitamin D. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So tell us about yourself and your story of transformation.
1: Um, gosh, okay. I um, I have a background in clinical psychology, have a master's degree in psych. Um, but by the time I'd finished the program, I had discovered a lot of other healing modalities, you know, energy healing and Reiki and yoga. And, um, I don't know. I I knew I wanted to not just do the traditional talk therapy with people, but I wanted to offer kind of this broader healing approach that I had discovered and, um, had great, you know, breakthroughs in my own life. So my sister, Lucy and I founded a retreat, business 10 years ago called firestone sisters wild precious life retreats and we we produce and curate them and teach different parts and bring different healers that we've benefited from to others so that was my background and then leading up to in 2018 i had just moved to montecito california which is you know idyllic Oprah lives there. The beach is there. The mountains are there. It's got one of the best public schools in the country. And, um, and I was pregnant with my second baby, my daughter, when um, the Thomas fire broke out, which is one of the largest wildfires, if not the largest, it might have just been surpassed, but one of the largest wildfires in the history of California. And um, we were evacuated for over a month. And when we returned in January of 2018, there was, um, um, they issued a warning for a debris flow, a mudslide, but we weren't in the evacuation zone and being from the East coast, I don't know, a debris flow. I didn't really have any concept of what that meant, but I didn't think of it as a big deal. Um, cut to four o'clock in the morning and I see this, you know, tidal wave of mud hurtling down the mountain directly for us at, you know, a record speed. And um, I, sh- I yelled to my then husband, like, oh my God, it's the mudslide. Go get our son. His bedroom was upstairs. And by the time he had run to go get him, I couldn't even follow him because the glass doors and the wall had crushed in and there was mud and glass and boulders and branches and up to my waist. Um, so I had to run the other way. I ran back to my bathroom and I watched out the window as the two stories of my house had been ripped off and spun around backwards and were flying down the mountain at 30 miles an hour. And I- my son's bedroom was the window looking back at me and I thought that he was in it. Um, so I was trapped for five hours. I couldn't hear them. It was really, really loud. Um, I thought my death was imminent. Um, and so for five hours I was trapped pregnant thinking that everybody that I loved actually I thought it was the apocalypse honestly it really I thought that like that was the end of the world and this was that was it um and after that trauma even during in those five hours I feel like I had a connection to something greater than myself like very peaceful and loving some kind of divine presence um which it's hard to describe, but it felt like a veil between this physical world and another dimension was kind of peeled back for a while. Um, and then following my rescue and, and my my child and husband were okay. Everybody that I love survived. 23 people died that night, a lot of them my immediate neighbors. Um, but, you know, the aftermath of it, I was certainly suffering from PTSD. And I knew what that was because I had my master's in psych, but at the same time I was experiencing like so much growth and so through the healing and, you know, I felt this other presence that night. And so that kind of led to this whole post-traumatic growth for me and this transformation for myself, like personally, and then in my, you know, the rest of my life, and and that's why I wanted to write this book to offer to other trauma survivors that there can be a more dynamic, light, joy filled life through healing.
0: I love that story. That is a <laughs> tough one. <laughs> it's a very it's- tough one. Um, what is your personal definition of trauma because we have all these labels that we put onto situations they don't really quite describe what the challenge is so I'd love to hear your personal definition of a traumatic traumatic event or trauma in general
1: for me I think trauma trauma is any time that you that your mortality is called into question that you feel you're going to die um and this can happen you know i've heard a lot of people have said like well but mine wasn't that bad you know because i was just like i just saw this terrible thing happen but still it's like anytime the fact that you know the one truth, the one sure thing we all know is that we're all going to die unless there's something some, something else is going to happen but like so if we hear about somebody who's suffered and or died or we witness a friend who's had like a stage 4 diagnosis of cancer we see an explosion um you know like at the boston marathon or um or even like abuse like you're held down your your free will is called into question and you think that you might die in some way i feel like for me that's the definition of trauma
0: That makes sense. And we were having a quick chat before we started this and we talked about how the definition of trauma has been hijacked, for want of a better word. And now everything is a trauma and it's presented in a way that it appears to be insurmountable. And what I've found is that in the past nine years of working with people is that everybody kind of believes that the thing that happened to them is the absolute worst thing. And people tend to say things like, oh, well, nobody has ever survived what I've been through. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, (laughs) that's not really true. But we won't heal by comparing one situation to another. And many people just underestimate their true power. So, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that?
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. That that I that um, there's been kind of a focus on the way trauma is discussed as being this, you know, label of PTSD, and you're cursed, and you're, you know, I even trauma experts, like talking about it like that and going through all the symptoms that you could have. And frankly, it's traumatizing. (laughs) And I think, you know, what I'd like to focus more on is this idea of resilience and, and discovering aspects of ourselves that we might not have known were even there if we hadn't been pushed into the contraction of trauma, um, And I also, I just want to say something else about this idea of like comparing trauma. I interviewed this amazing woman. She's like 98, Dr. Edith Eager. She wrote two books called The Choice and The Gift. And she's a Holocaust survivor. She survived Auschwitz. And she's had a thriving psychology practice in California for decades now. And she talks about this hierarchy of trauma and that there really isn't one. And we can feel that whatever our trauma is, is the worst because it happened to us. So I think first thing is, okay, honor that it feels like that to to you and to the person. And then I love what she says is that victimization is a fact of life. Like we're all going to be victimized in one way or another in, in our lives victimhood is a choice. You know, we don't, we go through the hard time and we move through it. You don't like set up camp in the valley of the shadow of death, as she said. You like keep going. So I think that's something really important. And and I'm also not suggesting that we like don't even look at the trauma and we just look right for the happy ending, the post-traumatic growth. No, like part of it is feeling all the feelings that come with Um, result of healing, integrating a trauma of anger, frustration, fear, and we, you know, we, we heal them and we work, we work with all different kinds of modalities to heal them so that we can integrate it. And it just becomes a facet of us. Does that make sense?
0: It makes a ton of sense. I mean, personally, what I tend to do is help some people try to understand that, Guilt is a state of consciousness. Fear is a state of consciousness. Shame is a state of consciousness. Anger can go somewhere. You know, we have, you would know this. We have like the publer ross scale mm-hmm. and things like that. And I feel like if more people had a basic understanding of just simple concepts like that, when an yeah. event happens in their life, they could perhaps look at themselves and say, okay, where am I in this in terms of movement rather than stagnation and Mm -hmm. i love the quote i think it's from you emerging from our darkest moments into the light um, teaches us that now is the only guarantee and uh something about how it motivates and empowers us to seize the moment and uh i love that the title of the book is trusting the dawn it reminded me of that thing about darkest before dawn and uh i love that it it's how to choose freedom and joy after trauma because most people just choose the trauma over and over again rather than a solution that will from day to day provide more healing which is more freedom more joy better options for living a fulfilling life and people tend to avoid healing from things for as long as they can, because whatever happened to them comes with that inherent sting of emotion. Mm -hmm. And in your view, why do you think people block this natural process and instead suppress what happened?
1: Um, Gosh, I feel like there can be a lot of reasons. It might not be... Safe for them to talk about what happened um, in their environment. So, or it might not be encouraged. I know where I grew up on the East Coast, it was very much like a maybe still a, um, a society of kind of repression and like we don't talk about it. And um I think especially for men, it can be hard to talk about trauma because it's, you know, in our, a lot of society, it's like, doesn't, it's not manly to have those kind of feelings. Um, I think too, there's like this misconception that if I, if I like go into it and look at the healing, then like, it's going to be really scary and something bad's going to happen if I look at it. But what I, I've been asked out a lot, like people are scared to look at it. I'm like, but It's coming out anyway in maladaptive behaviors. Like if what happens in a trauma, we go into fight or flight or freeze. So our bodies instinctively and our brains help to protect us to get us through the traumatic event. But then what can happen is we get stuck in that fight or flight or freeze response And that's when kind of like the maladaptive behaviors start to happen. So we might be doing things in our lives that we're unconscious of that are continuing to hurt us instead of just looking at the trauma and healing it, you know, and integrating it and moving on in a, in a healthy way.
0: Do you think the concept of having to heal the whole thing all at once can often be a factor?
1: You know, I think that in healing, I know for me that in go in healing the mudslide trauma, I wound up healing, you know, instances of sexual abuse from my childhood that, like, I thought I had, like, oh, I check, you know, I've been working on those for years, but in healing the mudslide trauma, I explored treatment modalities that I never had before, like ketamine therapy. Um, And I did past life regression and, and there were different moments in, in those healing experiences where I didn't, I wasn't looking for, I wasn't even thinking about those traumas, but they kind of came up, not in a bad way, but they just like came up to be cleared. So there was like another layer of clearing that happened. For me. So I think it's possible. It's like not the whole thing, but maybe there's like when we open our hearts and our minds and we're working with somebody that it's possible to then retrieve other aspects of ourselves and do a more holistic healing.
0: And with that, do you think that maybe if people understood that it doesn't happen all at once? it doesn't have to be as painful as it sounds. It can just be very incrementally done that you think that more people would be open to facing their challenges head on.
1: I think that's a wonderful approach. Yes, it does. not And also it's, it's relieving it's, uh, by, by doing the healing. Yes, it's called work, but It's actually, for me, when I did, you know, EMDR, which you do with a therapist, or cranial sacral, which is kind of a massage, head realignment, neurological thing, I experienced incredible relief. And I had been having nightmares, and the nightmares stopped. So I think I want to encourage people that approaching your healing, it's it's not going to be scary. It's going to be relieving, you know? And, um, and if you're working with a practitioner who you feel comfortable with, which you always should. And if you don't, then don't work with them find someone else. Then you have someone there to like help, you know, a hand along the way. Um, and no, it doesn't happen all at once, bit by bit. And it's ongoing.
0: (laughs) Right. It is an ongoing thing. And sometimes, you know, as they love to say that everything happens in a spiral. So you may Mm -hmm. come back to bits and pieces of things. Mary, as I love to say often, when we can take the mental out of mental health and replace that with emotional health, we can then begin to give a voice to the energy and the experiences that keep us feeling trapped. Mm -hmm. What are some of your favorite tools for overcoming stuck emotions?
1: I love that. definitely, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, you know, the out of the head into the heart. Um, so I have a few daily practices to keep me in my heart space and to keep things flowing i practice qigong every day which is energy cultivation it's a branch of chinese medicine and i find that that helps me not only physically maintain better health but also emotionally like you know just keeps things moving or it's kind of like a moving meditation i also love meditation Um, I've practiced Vedic meditation. I also love Joe Dispenza's meditations. And then also every morning after I do my Qigong, I read something inspirational. I love this woman named Florence Scoville Shin. Do you know her? Oh my gosh. It's so amazing how few people, especially even in our world, have not heard of her. She was so ahead of her time. And yeah. I love her so
0: much. I agree with you. I love uh, Florence Scovel Shin, uh, Earl Nightingale, Dr. Joseph Murphy, uh, mm-hmm. Neville Goddard. I love all, yeah. all of their work. It's very uh, uplifting.
1: Yeah, and I can read it like dozens of times. And I, you know, I love that feeling where I'm like, God, I've read this before. But like today, I just was like, oh, I get what she's saying, you know, or I thought I had like a new heart opening moment around whatever was written. So I'll read just, you know, a few minutes and then I write a letter to, to God. But if that's triggering, then I suggest like, you know, to yourself, to a higher power, to the universe. And I kind of write, it's like a gratitude letter, but I include things that have actually happened. And then also things that I'm manifesting, um, which that's a hot topic these days. But, you know, I think if we talking about being in the present moment, even when we're working on manifesting things that haven't actually arrived in the present moment yet, it's having the feeling. So it's all about the feeling back to your point, like the emotion and the feeling coming from that place. And and then I kind of find that, like, whatever I'm meant to have, whoever I'm meant to be with, kind of magnetizes, and other energies, you know, gracefully fall away.
0: Hmm. But yeah. Those are love- some
1: of my practices.
0: Yeah, I love that you said that because people tend to, at first, they think manifesting is about having things drop into your lap magically, mm-hmm. but it really is about alignment. It's really about empowerment through your own sense of joy and fulfillment in this now moment that then can consciously steer you towards the right choices the right opportunities recognizing when something is or isn't going to get you where you need to go you know yeah. the element of of if there's something that i have to do as creator is often lost from the the story, you know, and gratitude for your circumstance. You know, we have to find gratitude for that traumatic experience as well in order to transcend it. Wouldn't you agree?
1: I absolutely would. I think somebody asked me, you know, if you could go back and you could see the mudslide coming and you could have it go around you, would you? And honestly, no, I, there's so much that i learned and that came out of that experience i mean it changed my life um so no i wouldn't i wouldn't i have gratitude for it and also for all the incredible people that i've gotten to connect with um because of it
0: right. like you <laughs> <laughs> that's very sweet how important is recognizing the purpose that a story serves how important is that to getting over trauma
1: yeah i go into this in the in the book too i have a whole like rewriting your story exercise because i think a lot of us myself included can get stuck in a really disempowering story and so I think the first step is like becoming aware of it, you know, if I my story for a long time was I was molested when I was 7, you know, and like it was all that informed so much, but but why? And like becoming aware of like why we're telling the story? What is that making us feel? What energy is that keeping us stuck in? And how can we rewrite that story so that we're not just cast as the victim of circumstance, but, you know, a more playing a more empowered role in our own story. So something that, um, a therapist helped me with right after the mudslide was, I was saying, you know, I almost died. Everyone I love almost died. My mom should have been here and, you know, it would have been disaster and shifting, from I almost died to I survived the mudslide. Everyone I love survived the mudslide. I used my voice. I awoke my family. Um, you know, just that subtle shift in how we're even thinking about it and then speaking it. I think it's huge. I mean, words and language, you know, we're shaping our reality with the thoughts that we're thinking and the words that we're speaking and the root of the word spelling actually comes to cast a spell like magic. So I think our stories are critical to pay attention to and then rewrite.
0: Yeah. That's so important. Um, because when you changed your language there, it then shifted that into a sense of completion Mm -hmm. and it made it no longer a part of you that you needed to be a, a human in this world and so much of, and this is not a trash anybody. I often get involved in the whole trashing of talk therapy and stuff like that, because I find it can just be rehashing traumas rather than solution focused sessions.
1: Yeah. Yes, I agree. I think there's, you know, a time and a place for it. And it can be really healing when, but again, it's like remembering there are, all kinds of therapists. So really, uh, this is something too, that I really want to emphasize. Like if you're, it's a super personal relationship, a therapist, a coach, any kind of practitioner. So be sure that you resonate with the person like there's chemistry. So, um, but, and, and I, I do agree, which is again, why I wanted to pursue these broader different healing approaches as well
0: right yeah and i love that i think that's what makes this a a brave um undertaking and a good experience for anybody that picks up that book because it's a good reminder of exactly how powerful we can be and that as you said earlier everything that we do is encased in a prison of language Mm -hmm. and that we really can just make small changes to our behavior and our thinking that will then go on to set the tone for a a really amazing experience of life, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So is there anything else you'd love to talk about?
1: Oh my. Um, hmm. well, I think just one other thing I want to say, I feel like there's a lot of, um, you know, feeling alone. Uh, You kind of touched on this, like no one else has been through this. I'm alone. Um, and then also feelings of shame. You know, I did something like it's my fault in some way. I mean, granted with the mudslide, it's, that was easier for me to not have shame around that. But, um, but certainly I feel like with, you know, abuse and stuff like that, there can be this part of like, did I do something wrong? And that's just something that I really want to say to other survivors. Like you did nothing wrong. And, you know, shame is, ugh. like I have a whole part about forgiveness in the book too. And forgiveness, not being for the other person, but forgiveness being for you. You know, I think it's, I think it's the Buddha that <laughs> said, uh, or is it, I, that's like, if resentment is like poisoning yourself and expecting the other person to get sick. So that's kind of when I think about like forgiveness. It's like by me holding on to my resentment for what you did to me, I'm just making myself sick. Um, so I guess that's, that's a whole other conversation, but I have a whole chapter about forgiveness in the book too. And for it really being another way to liberate ourselves um, and move forward in a healthy way.
0: Yeah. Would you ever say that perhaps some people, not every case, some people, because at least in my belief, I see a lot of really brave people, really strong people and really capable people mentally, and they underestimate their capacity. Mm -hmm. They, internalize things as it's my fault as a way of trying to take responsibility and do you think that for some people who are that way inclined that they can learn to recognize that as a brave step towards healing and not take it as it's my fault this happened so I'm bad but shift that to say I can take responsibility for the way that I feel about this I can take responsibility for what I did and I can take responsibility for the steps forward to move past this.
1: I love that. I think you summed that up so well. It's yeah, it's take, it, recognizing that things are beyond our control. We're not going to be able to control our environment and other people and the weather, or you know. And but what we can, to your point, take responsibility for is our healing and how we move forward in the world and how we, you know, one of the, you mentioned Elizabeth Kubler-Ross before, and the stages of grief. And then just recently, I think there was like an eighth step that was found to be that when we pay it forward and, you know, reach out a hand and, and work to help other people through our own experience of learning and healing that that is a a really great way to kind of integrate the experience. Um, So I love that. Yeah. It's taking responsibility for our healing and how we show up in the world and our language, how we make other people feel.
0: Yeah. I love that. Um, I almost forgot. Hmm. Tell me a little bit about mystical healing experiences. How that helped you?
1: Um, okay, so I mentioned I mentioned the ketamine, but I guess ketamine is well, ketamine is a psychedelic. I guess that can count as mystical because it was plunged me right into the unconscious or super conscious or whatever we want to call it. Um, I did really have, because to what we were talking about before, like I think with talk therapy, a lot of times we can understand something intellectually, but then there's this whole other in our unconscious, subconscious, emotional body, physical body. Um, things get experiences get stored. So for me, um, the ketamine was a great way to kind of shut off that part of the brain and get underneath, underneath my rational intellect and understand it was this understanding of like, Oh my gosh, like nothing is in my control, but it's wondrous. And there's like so much more going on and it's not, there's no responsibility for that I can take. It just, it all just is. So it was kind of depersonalizing in a great way because it felt so connected with life, the universe. So ketamine was really helpful. And, um, even like past life regression and breath work, holotropic breath work, again, like different tools to get out of the intellectual thinking mind And into that subconscious, super connected, I don't know what we call it, space.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the holotropic breathwork. I would recommend to anybody pick up uh, that book by Stanislav Grof about that topic. That was a very uh, empowering and, and healing book for me.
1: Yeah, it's really powerful. Honestly, I mean... I have felt like I've had experiences in breath work that are almost as psychedelic and intense as when I took ketamine, which is a psychedelic drug. So, but to be able to induce that state simply through your breath alone, um, it's pretty incredible.
0: And folks, Please don't just take ketamine on your own. <laughs>
1: oh, no, 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 no. Ketamine too. Yeah, I definitely want to say that. Like the and there's ketamine labs like popping up. I'm definitely not recommending those. Yeah. I'm recommending working with a trained psychiatrist. Um, and you know, you do sessions before you have do the ketamine with the psychiatrist and then you have follow-up integration sessions. That's what I'm recommending for certain people that it's really great for people that are have severe depression, suicidal ideation, or this feeling of kind of stuck in like a PTSD loop or like there's just something that you can't quite get to. That's what I would recommend it for with a trained psychiatrist.
0: Mm. Okay, so very quickly... Let's talk about the importance of, on an individual level, being available for other people. Because in the times that we're living in, not everything is a trauma. But again, like we said, some things do feel traumatic to others. And they just have not built, you know, they have not shed that skin and they've not built that layer of resilience that other people might have. And you can't say to someone just get over it you know if somebody comes and says i have anxiety you can't you can't just say well just get over it because you the person may rationally understand but you're talking to the limbic system when you say that and the limbic system only knows i got to get away from some threat and the prefrontal cortex is shut off so and all, everything else is offline so it's just you're just talking to a wall And in any case, that comes across as you don't understand what the person is saying. And so they won't feel safe around you anyway. So how important is just being available for people and knowing when to ask them questions rather than give opinions or advice or bark orders at them?
1: (laughs) I think most of the time, most people don't want advice (laughs) unless they've, you know, sought you out for it. Um, so I think what the practice that I've been working on is listening more. And then as things come up, you know, if, if they do begin to ask, well, what worked for you, then I can offer suggestions. Um, so that's, that's what I would say about that is like listening more. And then also, you know, in the end of the book, I talk about relationships in the wake of trauma and that, you know, often when we do deep healing work, you know, we change our energy and our frequency and there might be relationships that are no longer a vibrational match and that's okay. So if they're individuals that you feel drained after spending time with then, then maybe have some better boundaries around that relationship. And I've noticed that, um, as I've shifted and done more of my work that certain relationships, I said this before kind of fall away or I don't put as much energy into them. And then there's other relationships that you're like, Whoa, it's, you know, really fulfilling. And, um, We're on the same wavelength, literally. So did that answer the question? So I don't think we need to be available. I mean, yes, you want to have an open heart and be a kind person, but it's not our job to fix every, or, you know, heal, fix, whatever. Because someone actually said to me too, like, well, if you told them what to do, then you're taking away their power and their opportunity for growth, even if they do it then they're still going to have attributed it to you and not to them. So I think that's it kind of is like knowing when to most of the time, sit back and let people like, listen, be supportive, but let them find their own opportunity for growth.
0: Yeah. That answers the question. And I'm glad you said that because I find that there's a lot of people that don't do that anymore. Just it's either get over it or they're not interested in hearing you know, it's like, oh, this thing is negative or this person's complaining. And it's like, well, just just listen. <laughs> you don't have to have a, a critique of what they're saying or whatever, you know, just most people will just learn to self-regulate if you just give them that time. Somebody listened and I found, well, I shouldn't say most people, but a lot of people will because I also awesome
1: move away from them. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to be around people that are spewing negativity all the time. So I don't hang out with them anymore. Right. You know, it's, I mean, you don't have to be mean about it, but like, you're just not available for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's people that you can help by listening. And then there's people we can't do anything for. And you've got to, if it makes you feel a particular way, you, you got to figure out what that means and get out of Dodge <laughs> for sure.
1: I think so. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. time is precious and limited. And yeah, so I, you know, as much as possible, only want to be around people that make me feel like this, not like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can only ever help the Marys of the world or, you know, the Jahans of the world, those that, that are like us that we share a similar thread with that maybe... We can impact them in some way, but we just can't help everybody.
1: I mean, we can hope. Yeah, we, <laughs> we can, can. All we can do is put ourselves out there and, uh, you know, offer our hand, offer our support, and you know, yeah. and it's up to to everyone how they choose to respond.
0: Yeah, I hear you on that. It's the pay it forward thing you talked about. Just pay it forward. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: So, Mary. Thanks for being on the Boundless Authenticity Podcast. This has been a really great chat. Where can we Thank find you?
1: you? Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am on, I have a website, maryfirestone.co.com, because somebody has that one. And then on um, social media, on Instagram, I have two accounts, Firestone Sisters, with my sister, And then also trusting the Don 2022.